Oh no, there's another squad attacking. Welcome to the third party, an Apex Legends podcast hosted by myself, Shay, and joined as always by my co-host, Henry. Henry, how's the day treating you? Going really good. Happy to be here. It's a fun one. We got a great episode today. We are interviewing senior business and gameplay analyst, Emre, to discuss what goes into matchmaking as well as unpacking the importance of data and game design. It's a really cool episode. Hopefully you all learned something from it. Before we do any of that, though, make sure you join us on Discord to chat Apex, find teammates, and receive third-party updates. Link to join us in the description. If you're interested in joining the third-party nation and keeping this amazing community going, please consider joining us on Patreon. Over there, in return, you can get a ton of great benefits like ad-free listening, exclusive merch, gaming sessions with us, monthly calls, Discord perks, and more. Help us reach our next goal if you're interested in a video podcast. We're so, so close to making it happen. And with that, let's throw it to the interview. Today, we have the opportunity to speak with a member of the Apex Legends development team. As a battle royale, Apex has been referred to as a numbers game. Players are faced with the challenge to outwit and outlast dozens of enemies in a single match. In the past, we've discussed the surface level numbers within Apex Legends and how they provide an edge in such a complex game. Today, we are excited to introduce a developer specializing in analytics and data science, a senior business and gameplay analyst. Welcome to the third party, Emre. Hello, guys. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. We're happy to have you. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. We were putting out a couple of little fires. It's a patch day, so <laughs> yep. um, but otherwise, excellent. Awesome. Very good. We're very happy to have you. If we could just start off by having you share a little bit about your background, how you came to be in this role, and explain a little bit about what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, my name is Emery Ruhi. I'm I'm uh, a, I guess my technical title is a senior business and gameplay analyst, and uh, I'm originally from Turkey. I, I'm I did all my schooling on, on the East Coast of the United States. Um, I've been a gamer my whole life. Like, uh, if you if you've ever met a friend playing a video game, that like be, like first you played video games, then you became friends. Like that's yeah. A lot of my friends were uh, um, like sourced that direction when I was younger. <laughs> gotcha. um, Played a lot of like uh, Brood War, um, nice. Team Fortress 2. Uh, I started a um, an apparel company. We, we actually worked the very first time I, I kind of dabbled with um, video games as like a job ish kind of thing was my first uh, startup, which was right after college. Um, it was a we were making the jerseys and like uh, apparel for Team Liquid, which is one mm-hmm. of the like big early uh, esports teams, they they were a StarCraft team only. I, I've wanted to work in video games um, one way or another, and I was kind of uh, delaying and kind of trying my own hand at it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, our the second company was uh, like a venture backed startup that we we did in, while we were at, still in grad school, and um, my co founder took that. And uh, Blizzard reached out and I left the East Coast basically for the first time I came out to Blizzard. I worked there in uh, on glo- on the Global Insights team. I was I worked in the esports like branch of the uh, Insights team at Blizzard. Um, I helped launch World of Warcraft Battle for Azeroth and mm-hmm. 
the first uh, season of the Overwatch League, and the and I built the balance tools for the StarCraft team. And the, so from from Blizzard, I went over to I came over to Respawn right mm-hmm. at the beginning of the so the game had just launched and we were okay. we were uh, getting into season one. So Blizzard works differently than how EA and Respawn work. So the the insights team at Blizzard is part it's like inside of Blizzard and the insights folks that work for um, EA actually have are, are like central and the different studios for EA can kind of like tap into that resource. There are also like dedicated uh, data teams. So like the FIFA team, their analysts are only looking at FIFA stuff. I was the first, you know, in the, in the actual studio here in, in LA. And I will tell you what I do at Respawn. My job's in some places call, like called data scientists, like, a face, like at Facebook, my job is called data scientists. At Amazon, mm-hmm. it's called like business scientists. Like, these are all like, uh, those terms don't try to attribute too much to what you think those terms mean. Better explanation is data that is generated by the game, both on the gameplay side, so the tele- what we would call that type of data is called telemetry, um, and the business data. Uh, those are the two main data sources that are created by like Apex, the game itself. Mm-hmm. Um, those those are uh, under the purview of the data team, and we use that as a that, that's like our raw our raw resource, you know, like our our inputs. We are, kind of serve like a, as like a little internal consulting team um, for anybody at Respawn. The vision here is like, you, let's say you know you're you're a weapons designer, like you're you, you know like Bocek when when he was working on his bow he would get to a point where design intuition, for example, or experience is not going to resolve like a, how are players using this or that for like mm-hmm. just the, you just don't have the perspective. So need the appropriate kind of tool or resource for um, some of these questions. And the data team kind of serves that purpose. So we are the hub of questions. Primarily, we are serving the design team and the product team. If I'm doing a good job, my team is making faster decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, like, okay, what are we going to put in this game? Should we cut this? Should we add that? Emery and like his team can actually have the answer to that. Like, they, well, we know that that sort of, for example, feature is not enough bang for the buck in terms of, for example, um, it doesn't really keep players around. For us, we are constantly making decisions, which means we're constantly introducing risk to the game's health. That's so interesting. I love that. So, okay, let's let's start it though. Let's dive into the number that kind of brought us together to have this chat from Twitter, and it's probably the most popular number in the Apex Legends community: pick rate. And the number <laughs> that I think for a lot of people seems easy to digest and then translate into player opinions. In the grand scheme of things, though, what role does pick rate play in the game, in your opinion? Pick rate is simply a, uh, on its own, it is not useful. So mm-hmm. and it, it, without context, it is not useful. And without a um, understanding of, of its trend also uh, turns out to be very, not, not just not useful, but potentially like dangerous, right? Like, or misleading. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's really important as like the, um, like the cultivators of this information, like the raw data that comes out of the game, we are parsing all of that stuff into the final, like, you know, the truth of something. And the, um, the last thing you want to do is convince yourself of 
of something being the case using data and being wrong. When, when somebody, if you want to know a pick rate, I would ask you, why do you want to know a pick rate? Or I'll ask mm. you this, what do you expect a, the pick rate to be? Like, uh, um, and what if you're wrong? Like, and what if you're wrong by a lot? Um, mm-hmm. What's going to happen? What's the decision you're going to make if you know the answer to this? Um, if, you, if you haven't already thought through the, that, then for me, I, I'll hand that to you as like a homework assignment. I'm pretending we're like in this in the office at the moment, right? We're talking about this stuff. It turns out for pick rate, that stuff is easily accessible to anybody on the dev team. It is accessible in the um, sense that uh, it has all of that context and it has, it comes with like the the data team to put like, uh, oh, this is where like the patch came out for Seer. And that's Mm -hmm. what we see. We see like a change in pick rate there, right? If you just ask for like one, like pick, like who, like who's the most picked legend? Again, mm-hmm. I would ask you, by by who? Yep. Good follow up. Uh, you can see when you when you slice players by skill level, there's a uh, instant reaction from the high skill tier players to yep. a to a patch change, and there's a similar like they'll but much delay. Like I'm talking days or maybe we you know maybe a week weeks later. Uh, kind of mirroring a change in lower tiers. So it's like, uh, uh, you, and, and they it, learn it, from the best. And then you, learn, it, you can see that trickle yeah. down happening mm-hmm. where the, um, and, and you can see the, okay, why did the pick rate change in this particular way? Um, well, good players have a, uh, like, not only did they make this change, like they're maintaining their, their winning, their win rates when they do that. So mm-hmm. like the, they've like fully downloaded our, our patch and like uh, synthesized it into like a, a new strategy and so here, here's an interesting thing I'll, t- I'll tell you about a recent way we use pick rate. What, what we want to do is, so we have, we have this change in a pick rate. And what we are looking at is to make sure that that change is the, we know it's going to change. We wanna, we're looking at the pick rate to make sure that it's changing the way we expected and that, that our, um, our intuition was telling us it was going to go, right? Mm-hmm. So the, uh, looking backwards at, from the data perspective, we're validating that, okay, it's working as intended, or the meta is changing in a way that we can clearly see that. Uh, what we want to make sure is that like, okay, the players are reacting appropriately. And w- but if we see like a difference there, that's a, again, ex- an expected one. Um, and one last thing I'll throw in there. If you make a change to a game and then you are tracking a metric like a pick rate, it's really important to remember that from the developers, our perspective, we are very familiar with what's about to go into the game. We've been working on that mm-hmm. thing for months. Um, it's not new at all, right? Like it's a, um, but from the player perspective, it is completely like I doubt. I just like I'm totally it's fresh brand eyes, new. brand mm-hmm. new, no knowledge. So the timing and the 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 digestion of the new information by players is is literally reflected in the data as well. If you look at something right away by the numbers, you are prone to capturing the state of the game while it is still getting to where it needs to be. So it's going to take a couple of days. We always have to tell people when yeah. the legend comes out, guys, the pick rate is not what it uh, what it looks like it's looking at right now. It's going to be months before things, we start to see things in theory normalize. But it's it's really important to actually predict what you think is going to happen. This is true in mm-hmm. in any kind of using like numbers at all. Um, take a second to like what should this number be? 
and then see the number, right? Like, so for that to happen, the formulating the question is really important. Yeah, I think that in the past, we've seen pick rate as kind of a scary, dangerous number because pick rate is popularity and popularity isn't a direct translation of power. So a lot of times you have to be making a big flashy change in order to impact the pick rate when maybe there's tweaking that you can do that doesn't really change the popularity, but does impact the power. One of the questions that we've had in the back of our mind for a while is, do you ever look at the unlock rate or when you're segmenting players and their pick rate, is it assessed whether or not players have that legend unlocked? Um, because, you know, mm-hmm. the original legends, everybody has access to, we believe that may impact their pick rate in the grand scheme. Yeah. Um, so the like uh, default unlock legends are obviously in a, in a free to play game, actually in probably any game, um, you're going to expect that they have to be picked more because there's like the their popular, like the fraction of them is much, much bigger. You're on the right track there. Um, however, this is a relatively simple thing to correct for. Right. So what we what we can look at is like number of times picked divided by number of times it could have been picked. OK, um, so the if, if like there are um, five people and, you know, like only one of them has seer. Well, and like, and Seer gets picked. That's like a hundred percent, not like twenty percent. No, that makes a lot of sense. That's that's really interesting. So, I guess in general, if we look at the number of pick rate, it's the number I think that is funny because it's accessible to us, even though it's probably not the accurate of what you actually have internally. And so, we are always curious, like, who are these top legends? Who are these bottom legends? Based off of that metric, is that even important in your opinion for justifying power or popularity for a legend? So that's a, that's a great question. And in fact, it's a, that's a question that I would turn around and ask like our design team to to say like, Hey, um, I can tell you whether players are like, like I I can tell you if like all the pick rates are equal. Is that what you want? You know, like, like Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not what, it's not a matter of, uh, like, tell me what it is so I can just live with it. It's rather, uh, here's like what we think it should be. Is it, is it that? So, and, and along those lines, there's no, uh, obligation to make sure that the pick rates are equal, right? Between legends, the, um, see in almost every case where people have a choice of a thing, there's like a Pareto distribution. So like a lot of people, um, pick a few number of those things, right? So a lot of people have like one or two legends, uh, like you have your favorites, right? Like, and as a result, yeah. there's going to be at the end when you count them all up, like the, it turns out like the, there are, you know, some, the, the ones that, that are really popular are really popular. And they, there's, there's like a, a very like well-reasoned kind of thought process. I would say like, you don't want to nerf something that a lot of people have just because people are picking totally. it. Like it's, it seems like, mm-hmm. a, uh, it seems like instead we, we you know, that means that the game is do is fun, you know, like, uh, yeah. like that, that thing that we're, that we had created is, is like the, it's good. It's good. Right. Like, yeah. So mm-hmm. like, uh, rather than pull it down in some way, like and make it less mm-hmm. appealing. Um, what we can do is say, well, is there, is there a utility for all of the legends? That's the, that's more important. So like the, mm-hmm. um, what you don't want to see is like a never ever picked legends in any case, right? Like where mm-hmm. the, 
there's like objectively a um, I'm just talking from like a uh, if we looked at these numbers and we saw that a legend that is simply outclassed in some like like hard way in in different categories, you could easily create a scenario where you would never pick that legend because there's always a um, it's always at a disadvantage. League of Legends mm-hmm. is some, a common example. They they have a gigantic legend pool, right? So mm-hmm. the uh, you can think like they can't that that's not balanceable, right? In in a for sure to make all of them equal and, and like pick rate and and uh, uh, you know like impossible task. Right? It's impossible. Yeah. So the really the idea would be like, um, hey, why does nobody play Urgot or something? You know, like he's mm-hmm. just he's like a, like we that's like a continuously never played, never banned or whatever it is. Well, let's see if we can do something that that like addresses that small little problem area. But without the expectation that it's it's going to now be the meta, right? The mm-hmm. as long mm-hmm. as it's there's like a fun scenario to like slot a legend in, like I think that tends to be more of the philosophy. However, mm-hmm. I will say that that's it. that's my perspective of of things, and I I kind of leave the the okay. Then we don't want the we don't we don't need these things to be like fully balanced in every like numerical way okay this is not a data problem like at that point it's a um data is just making sure that things are not going wrong rather than mm-hmm. being used to make sure that things are like on an even keel yeah Th- that makes a lot of sense and that's a good answer I-, I think next we want to talk about win rate and the question is how heavily is this data point monitored in the past we felt that it's kind of a dirty data point due to the structure of the trios br like how is a fair win rate for octane calculated if the majority of the time they're paired with the abilities of gibraltar and bloodhound wouldn't a win rate be determined for team compositions while it's just it's rare that a single legend wins a game alone so can you tell us a little bit about what goes into that Mm -hmm. yeah so (laughs) Man, I thought uh, work was already done, but this is like a work question. Like uh, that's a real that's a real question. So the um, first of all, what you're what you're asking is uh, is to define a metric, and this is a mm-hmm. a really important thing that like if I say active players, um, you ever you could have a different mean like understanding of what that is. Um, mm-hmm. If I use it in like a, the like an official way, I need to make sure that we know it's like a repeatably like it's like a defined thing, right? So yeah. uh, win rate is win rate is not even in a game of 20 teams um mm-hmm. the their winning is on a on a sliding scale right so the uh one way that we can kind of break it down is actually zoom in on one-on-one encounters in the game within the match so rather than looking at the match outcome we can look at things like um player one versus player 23 mm-hmm. when they fought um, or how much damage was exchanged, right? So, like, imagine the, 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 you know, that there's like a scene in the Matrix where the guy's just looking at numbers and then he's like, I can see, like, and he's describing what, what it actually represents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what we're seeing is a table of numbers that are telling us, like, this player might, like, subtract, like, it's a, you can imagine a very wide, long row and then billions of, uh, uh, of those, uh, like, many, many columns and many, many rows, very tall and wide tables. Um, <laughs> they, they are, you cannot eyeball them. You cannot put them in Excel. They they are. It's not not going to fit in Excel. Um, it, it needs to be queried in a way that 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 you you can interpret the like a row of numbers as these two people fought. Sometimes you can even 
determine that there was there was a third party um because like the next row down shows like player c came in and player c or like you know player let's say 30 came in and player Mm -hmm. 30 um like took a nibble out of you know the first guy and the second guy uh and now then if the original pair continue to fight well this is something that needs to be kind of uh calculated in an ongoing way but the end result of it is you end up with a like a kind of a a huge co- like a matrix of like a comp like a fights like um uh you know let's say like within a within a match there were like 50 different octane versus gibraltar like interactions that happened mm-hmm. um and we can even slice that by weapon and by skill so now yeah. we've got uh one fight generating like a bunch of different uh directions that we can look at it through uh, and in fact i i would say that at this point, I'm, I would be confused. Like, what am I doing here? Like, like the, yeah. I, I've like broken it down so much that the, um, I don't know if when I get to the end of this, like what, what I can turn around and be like, oh, so what, where's the so what part of this, right? So yes, there, is a, there are squad synergies um, that you can take into account. You can, you can ask that as a separate question. You can say, what, I'll take all the different three person combinations that are possible and then look at those results. And that's a lot of computing power, but that's just the computers. I don't care about those. You guys got the computers. You got it. Yeah, they're like, in, they're like floating somewhere in the sky, yeah. apparently. Um, so the, uh, and, and they are like absurdly like, what, what are, we have very big data that comes in th- out of video games. Yeah. In fact, you can imagine uh, there's very few things where every measurable component of that like uh, product is captured in data. Um, like if you give, you know, when you, if you sell somebody a car, you're kind of like guessing how that thing is going to, you know, to the, to the most part. Mm-hmm. All of the data of a game comes, comes back out of it. In fact, it is more than is possible to be, to be utilized, right? Yeah. So the, mm-hmm. with, with that win rate, I would say is more like a, a secondary, like put it on the back burner stat and okay. the, uh, like on a one-on-one basis, but it is important in matchmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's incredible because it, it seems like an impossible task. And what you were talking about there was encounter win rate. And you even mentioned kind of how much that can be dirtied by third parties and explosives and things that, that complicate it. But it's really impressive that you can actually synthesize it down into something that's valuable. And if I understand what you're saying correctly, it sounds like the law of large numbers just kind of makes it so you can pull something out of it despite <laughs> all the noise. Yeah, you can, you can uh, we, imagine every single thing that happens comes with a timestamp that's very, very, got a lot of digits after it. So yeah. I can put things in order. I can say like this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Uh, and then just do a running calculation of like um, back and forth fighting damage, add that all that up, multiply it by every game and every like in every skill bucket and the, uh, you end up with a uh, what the, now what that thing is now called is a data model. Um, mm-hmm. We modeled this data in a in a way that is now useful. So like uh, having information is not helpful. Having uh, organized information is helpful. Um, and now we've organized it into like a, we've modeled it into a format that I can now make a picture out of it or I can um, uh, have it like send out a report and tell you exactly uh, what's going on. So it, it's a, it takes a whole bunch of, of stuff and it, it really we're boiling things down 
um, in as smart a way as possible so that it, yeah. it becomes useful, right? That's so interesting. I love that. So, okay, before we get to the rest of the interview, here's a word from our sponsors. Welcome back. We talked about it before the show that maybe we'll go into it and we can try and explain it. And you mentioned it briefly there. You said win rate has an impact on matchmaking. Mm -hmm. Do you want to explain the matchmaking formula that maybe goes into Apex that you talked about and see if you can <laughs> try and digest this information? Yeah. So the um, first of all, I, I, I want players to take like remember like matchmaking is everywhere. It, it is uh, mm -hmm. um, and it is extremely important for your experience like the reason why so think about it like uh, picking picking teams on a playground if the captains that are picking teams are bad at their job uh you have a really terrible basketball game right the um if you just pick your friends for Great example point. and then mm -hmm. you guys like just get crushed um you, like the there's the, there was matchmaking going on along some some uh, factor but you know it ended up in a bad experience the yeah. uh it, it, matchmaking exists in a lot of places and the reason for it existing and needing to be considered is because the it, if that goes wrong the rest doesn't matter like if you uh, you can mm -hmm. imagine think about the difference between like those games where you fought for like a win and you were like having fun with your friends versus one where like your intentions are like completely lost on the game like nothing that you want to do or are trying to do is 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 having like there's a yeah. wide you, you can imagine like a a uh, bad experience and a good experience. And you can boil a lot of that down, look at a whole bunch of players and to the, like the quality of, of the matchmaker. So the, um, the system, that system is uh, particularly important. And what, what I want to kind of, uh, what I wanted to discuss with you guys as well is the, like the hard part of like SBMM is, is figuring out the S. Um, yeah. So uh, this is <laughs> yeah, something that we talked about question. at the very beginning, right? Like, do you take placement only? Um, mm -hmm. do you take a hybrid of placements and kills, but like, uh, if I, if I won and I didn't kill anybody, I'd be like, well, that's, that's not fair. That seems like yeah. I did the main thing of the game and I didn't get all I could, right? Like the, the, um, the, the thing that skill is representing in, in this is uh, basically a, if I know your skill, I should be able to predict the outcome of the game mm -hmm. that you're about to play in. Um, which means that the if I know an average placement of, you know, ninth in your previous games and mm -hmm. uh, you get like a quarter knock every every game, like that much damage or whatever it may be. The yeah. um, uh, I, I have some like set of numbers that I could use. The thing that would tell me that a game is doing a good job of matchmaking is that players continue to play it. Um, yeah. The, the there's really no other good indicator like like signal that comes out of the game other than like uh your likelihood to to continue playing the game if i if we'd made a change to matchmaking and then people like dropped like right after their first game i'd be like yeah. oh maybe that was you know that's not good um in no, fact that that being bad is bad for everything downstream so the the thing that you would that I, I could simplify like okay is it working i can look at like let's say retention which is like how mm -hmm. how um uh how well are we doing at like keeping players playing and this is a completely like well-intentioned metric right like the this is not like uh it, the it's a signal of fun right and mm -hmm. we when we change when, when we look at results of your your matches and how likely you are to come back in a future match 
if you get uh, zero kills, there's a really big chance that you're going to uh, leave and not come back. If you get 15 kills, same thing. Somewhere in the middle is a Goldilocks zone where you have been challenged the appropriate amount, where it was not too easy and not so like impossible, where you're like, why am I in this game? Or on either end. So this is like a U-shaped curve where the, uh, the, the two ends of the U are really high levels of people leaving. And the middle is like a, a sweet spot. And, and the, what that means is that you can't make the games either too hard or too easy. The too easy is not uh, fun, right? The, if, you, if you completely crush a, a lobby, it, it is uh, way less satisfying than than earning it to some to some extent so it's fun for a little bit it's and fun for you're right you it's better it than getting wrecked yes it's better like, than being on the other end of it now the but we can see this like really close relationship between getting it right and uh pe- players playing our game and the that being said i, I kind of want to explain what what is going when you click the play button what are we asking out of matchmaking like and this is true of all games but particularly for apex you're saying okay uh I, like the claim here is when I press play any time of day, anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. um, you are you apex is going to go out and find players that are um, near close enough that, that we can play a game geographically, not too late, not too much latency um, yeah. within my skill range where the match is going to be fun. To, so well, that's a little vague, but we can get back to that. <laughs> and uh, those players are also clicking play right now. Like the, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I have a uh, like a, a timer in my head of like how long this process it can take. And if it stops, take if it continues to take longer than that, then I'm more and more frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now, from a logistic from like just like the technology side of it, at some point, let's say it's, it's a, like the middle of the night somewhere far away, like a, like it was like a lower uh, Apex Legends population. Like so like you know, uh, I don't know, like Brazil, let's say, not, not the United States. Um, and it, you Always know, there's like a, Apex in the US. Yeah. And in the, <laughs> uh, it like, like at that moment, somebody wants to play, but there isn't any, like, okay, there are players that are like within your skill bucket, within your skill range, but they are in Europe. How, how much do you weigh the mm-hmm. value of a, of a stable connection to the game versus the, um, like the, uh, the correct distribution of skill within a match. Um, now, the Apex happens to be on the, like the very hard end of the scale of matchmaking. On the easy end, uh, air quotes, easy end, is a game <laughs> like chess, right? Chess has two players, uh, one winner and one loser. And I know that how not only the likelihood of how much I should win, and if I have an upset, I can even account for that and get more points in a very direct way. Every point I gain, you lose. So you have this closed system and the original ELO system um, really derives from that. Now mm-hmm. you can expand that and keep it easy and say, okay, what about for a game like Counter-Strike or Valorant, right? 5v5, mm-hmm. but still, again, now, now you have teams of players. Lots but, of variables. Well, now, now you've got two teams, but you still only have two teams. You still have a winning team and a losing team, which means the if I estimate your um, team's MMR, the uh, I'm trying to make sure that you are in a match with another team 
with a similar one so that there's about a 50-50 chance that one team is going to win. But what about in a 20-team game? In a 20-team game, is, is good matchmaking that everybody has like a, like a little bit, like a, or is everybody going to have a 50% chance in a 20? That doesn't make sense. That seems like yeah. um, that those numbers don't, don't add up. So the, um, how do I know if, the, um, like, if, if it's going correctly, right? So the equation that we were talking about is actually um, something that will show you the trade-offs between something like, let's say, yeah, the quality of the match versus how long it took you to get the game to start. Um, adding modes will increase your time waiting. Uh, adding, like making games that have long match durations. So like if your game itself takes mm-hmm. 50, 50 minutes, like in League, for example, um, that adds to your queue time. The number of people um, that need to play in a match also uh, add to the time waiting. And the uh, number of skill buckets that you've defined for uh, your matchmaking system, the more you have, the uh, longer it's going to take for a game to start. So the, if I have a narrow skill band where I, I'm saying as a, like a design team, players that are further apart than like three skill levels, let's say, um, really shouldn't be playing together. They're never going to have fun. That's like way too uh, uh, imbalanced. Um, so yeah. we should make all of our buck, our like slivers um, to, to, to kind of catch players within to match them together. Um, they need to be no bigger than three. Um, which means like now from here, I can only look, I only have a couple of like directions I can go before I uh, get to either too good or too bad players. Um, mm-hmm. Right. So as you add skill buckets um, and then the, uh, uh, the average number of the players that are online wanting to play a game at any given time, um, the waiting time goes down, the more people are online. Right. Um, so you can, you can, uh, so there are some games that, force matchmaking by just having like ranked games happen on like weekends like i think some mobile games do stuff like that where where they they try to fix a bunch of these challenges of like well we need everybody who's in this like very narrow bucket of skill if if we want them to play together well they're spread across the whole week so let's see if we can compress that um Mm -hmm. and 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 reduce one of these variables so like take out some some modes out of the game take some make the games shorter make the um games require fewer people um, or make the skills that are appropriate to be playing with one another wider so that you can have it. Like there are some games that are like family games that are like a grandpa can play and the baby can play like the same game, you know? Um, and like kind of, even though there's like a huge difference, like everyone's going to have fun versus games where there's a little bit of difference um, and it's, it's a blowout, right? So mm-hmm. the, uh, these, these facts, I don't know if you guys know what the Drake equation is. It's like, a bunch of different variables that multiply together to figure out whether there, there are aliens out there. So it's like um, num- number like of like uh, habitable <laughs> planets times like number of stars times number of galaxies. Okay. And then you, you, as you plug in the different like assumptions, you come out with like a, oh yeah, there's definitely aliens. Um, in this case, <laughs> the uh, when you click play, all of these factors are being um, considered and hopefully like uh, in a way where the end result is okay maybe you, you, if you're really really good you might have to wait a little bit longer um in fact i my personal opinion is we can probably squeeze out even better quality matches if we like 
doubled the queue time, you know, which it wouldn't be that long, actually. Uh, feel free to increase my queue time. Emory. I think queue <laughs> times are, are, are pretty good. And I, I feel like mm-hmm. I, I could probably figure this out, but like there's a, there's probably like a good like of, given a, a length of an average game, I'm willing to wait like 15 percent of its time in line um, mm-hmm. before I like as long as you tell me you're going to give me a good game. Right. So sure, like yeah. A, yeah. maybe there's like a no need to rush. I want to make sure that the uh, skill differences are minimized. The experience differences are also minimized. Like if you're a player who's played a really long time, but you're just mm-hmm. bad, I don't want to necessarily keep you with like a new player who's just learning still. You're right. Like the, yeah. like the, even though your skill quote, quote, might be similar, your experience is very different. Um, is that relevant? That's so that's one. a, so without being able to make like a, a version of this where um, I don't care about your experience at all. I just want to see how, how good you are at shooting your gun, for example. Um, if I just would matched on that, uh, I, I'd want to see like, I, I would like the way I would answer this if I had all the, um, the ability in the world would be to actually try that version out and see how that um, mm-hmm. is received and, and how that works. If you are a certain skill level of a given legend, you should be winning or like uh, succeeding, whatever you define that as, in the same at the same rate as another legend at the same skill level. When I look at like uh, a really good octane player, what I don't want to see is that what we call really good for octane is different from really good Jimmy. You know? Yeah. Um, the uh, like in that case, like if we haven't standardized that, then like that that again adds like another. Uh, well, we think you're good, but now you're playing the wrong legend. So you're not you're, like in this case, you're actually terrible, right? Because you're a, like a, a you have this main over here. Um, uh, like, do we assign it to you or to you playing this legend? Right. Like the skill, like how, how much. And then like maybe you're really good at sniper, but you, you suck like close range. So like, am I measuring your skill in like to what granularity? Um, you, yeah. can, you can go pretty. You can, like I said, again, we have all the data, so we can go. It, it, so deep that like we've completely disappeared and they they just send helicopters yeah, out can't find tough. you you're you're stuck in the data so um that sounds yeah, so really that, hard. That, it, it it is hard now the it's it's actually to me kind of miraculous that <laughs> games do this and the here here's something that is kind of hard to convey but the like games are just like expected to know how to do this matchmaking and make it work um but it's like its own complete engineering discipline um, yeah. and the uh we need a degree for this one in college it sounds like i mean well <laughs> a degree or like drop out of college and just become a matchmaking like <laughs> matchmaking code writer expert. or something yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. um and the, the matchmaking is a, a whole bunch of like really the when you come down to it it's like a bunch of uh probabilities um mm-hmm. like and and then uh different levels of confidence in those probabilities the why, like the less confident I am as to how you're going to do, yeah. the um, less I will adjust your um, uh, your MMR after the game. So if you're if you're a brand mm-hmm. new player and you're, I kind of have an idea where you're at. I'm not going to like go in there and like uh, um, just uh, I, I need I need you to play some more before I'm like more and more sure. Um, versus like what about a player you've seen for a whole year and uh, you kind of know their skill, right? Like the um, they they've they've got like a, a record. Like th- that's a player who the next game they play, I'm pretty, I'm way more sure how they're gonna do than somebody who played their first yeah. game. So um, I, I, the, the lack of kind of 
is this an anomaly or is this the, the, the normal um, is, is another factor that goes, how, how long should I wait before I know how good you are? I like, mm-hmm. like you guys, like yeah. how, how many games do you have to stand over somebody's shoulder, watch them play Apex before you can say they're good or bad? I actually think it's with our human eyes pretty quick, right? I think I can mm-hmm. probably do it within the game you're playing. Um, the, uh, for a computer to like, to just from your, your game telemetry to derive something as like complicated as, as skill and then be able to say that that is going to uh, predict your game outcome in a game like Apex, which is the game outcome has a lot of um, like variability to it. You know, the mm-hmm. even really good teams yeah. are not going to win every game. Totally. That's a big point on it, I think, because I think what you said before is the expectation is the matchmaking gives you a 5% chance of winning. That is very, very hard probably impossible sounds like the matchmaking system is doing the best it can but some of the things you said were interesting like the idea of which legend you're playing and how does that determine how good you are well that's impossible to be in this the matchmaking system because the match has already been made before you select the legend so that's tough and then on top of that it's really hard to even establish that skill barometer in general, because people are playing together, they're playing outside. And so calculating this MMR turns out to be a really complicated task. Yeah. And if you are uh, rewarding, you have to really make sure that the, um, the thing that we are, um, it's got to align with like what players are actually trying to do. So um, like the, if you're striving for a high MMR, um, you should be like getting that high MMR by playing the spirit of the game, you know, like, like, yeah. through, through, like, like the, um, that's so it, hard to account for. It feels it, like, it, well, so, so like the, yeah. at least this is the, uh, just to clarify, like the general, like theory behind how you build like a matchmaking system is that the, uh, you want to make sure that the thing that you are rewarding players for is the thing that they are playing the game to try to do. If you're rewarding players to like, if, if like your MMR went up by how stationary you were, um, that would be a terrible way to build it, right? Like by <laughs> yeah. just like, okay, if I don't move, I get the game thinks I'm better at the thing, but like, I, I want to play the game, like I want to do a different thing. Um, yeah. Now the, because we're not measuring the thing you're doing, we think you're bad um, because we've picked like the wrong metric in that case, right? This is a bad example, but yeah. oh, that would be hilarious. Yeah. I like the idea of a red light, green light apex. Um, so I'll put that in my, in my game ideas.txt. Yeah, that's cool stuff. And you also mentioned like experiences weighed, but I would have never assumed that because it's skill based matchmaking and that's predicated on performance based. So the level you are is, I wouldn't assume is very high. It's kind of, what have you done recently? How have we determined your skill? That's who you should be, you know, placed against. If you had something where I, yes, but with like a very few number of observations, I'm really good at figuring out how your next games are going to go. Then mm-hmm. you're you're totally right. Um, that is the case in something like chess, or even in um, like how like the yellow system for like league works. Um, they did that. That system does not need to observe the player for more than like five minutes before it knows very like accurately or with high level of confidence mm-hmm. where they fall in the skill range. 
um, for Apex, even if I like imagine like a world where I actually know your skill. Now this game has got the randomness that comes in, right? Like the kind of a chaotic, like, uh, like uh, nature of like coming in on a drop, like, you know, 20 teams landing, you know, like circles, like what, like the, um, there's a bit of RNG there that can throw that prediction off. Um, mm-hmm. And the, uh, as a result, now I am like, I'm no longer sure. Uh, yeah. Even after I've seen, I've seen, okay, you, last game you won, this game became intense. Next game, uh, like your squad mate disconnected, but you guys won still. Um, like the, again, like I can like plot that out. It looks crazy, right? Yeah. Like I, I, what do I do? Average them? Like that's, that's, the fact is like somebody who comes in fifth every game versus and has never won is a, a different kind of like they're coming close, but they're not winning the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but like if I was only counting placement, there's a, like a mathematical possibility where you can be like you can win a thing, but have never won a game, uh, you yeah. know, like which is it seems mm-hmm. like it goes against like the point, like the yeah, it makes sense, know. though. It, it makes sense. Like there is so much. There's so much that goes into each and every individual game that it's like if you only pull simple stuff like your placement, you're not going to get the full picture of what everything looks like for most players. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we could, I think Henry and I would happily continue to talk for another hour <laughs> if we could. Uh, but I know that we got the listeners that have on somewhat of a time crunch, obviously, but we got two wrap up questions. So hopefully Hit somewhat me. rapid fire and then we'll try and uh, we'll try and get out of here. The first one is solely for our own benefit and is a very selfish question. Will the community, maybe and if you just wanted to give it to Henry and I, that'd be okay too, ever get consistent open access to these accurate Apex Legends numbers, essentially? I know Henry would love to just dive into spreadsheet after spreadsheet <laughs> after spreadsheet all day about the game, but we don't have kind of that open data to look at. So the that, that's a fantastic question. Um, I... It, it's something I want. Uh, I mm-hmm. think. I think the there like if when you look at games that have uh, public data APIs, yeah. the ecosystems around them are so cool. And I'm I like I, I'm inspired by like the the different things like um, you know like league players have built around that game or um, mm-hmm. like uh, there's like a, the stats lab stuff that Overwatch does. Like there are there are some games that have that really benefit from that. The challenge is that um, that needs to almost be baked into the like making the game part of of it oh, um and okay. the, it is i'm not saying it's out of the question but mm-hmm. the of the things that could be worked on um you, you'd have to think like that's almost like it's not a low-hanging fruit it's like a little bit a little bit high hanging fruit um yeah. there's like other things that could be improved with the so i mean we're a small studio like uh yeah um and we are uh like you know, the, there's few people and, and a limited amount of resources. You got to pick and choose. Um, I would pick build, give a public facing <laughs> API that can pull game telemetry and distribute it. Um, the benefit being, you know, I, I, I would, I would have a hard time saying that that's more worth it than maybe building like some, something else. Right. So mm-hmm. I think it's a great idea. I am not hundred percent confident that it's like, it's going you to know, be happening anytime soon. Yeah. Unfortunately, and, and what I think might happen as an alternative is maybe we as the dev team will be more open with numbers and data mm-hmm. of 
coming outward. This is a game industry tendency to be very secretive about basically like stuff that can, I mean, doesn't necessarily need to be, but that is the, the way yeah. that it is. And um, uh, yeah, so I prefer transparency, but that takes a lot of development time. So totally. Yeah. And last question for the day, who's your main? Yeah. <laughs> Man. So. Hey, if you don't have a main also, that's a great question. Because we, we tell anyone that asks us, we don't really have mains. We got to play everybody. <laughs> I, I, if I had a main, I would probably, it would probably be Rev at the Ooh, moment. Oh, yes. Yeah. I just like, I, I mean, he's like so metal. With like the heirloom? The, the I mean, I, we, I have all the heirlooms. The, Ooh, I'm just making uh, sure. No big deal, you know. The, <laughs> no big deal, no big guys. Deal. I got everything. I got everything, <laughs> you know. Uh, I know the person who made the heirloom. You know, like, the, <laughs> like uh, I got like their phone number, you know. Anyway, <laughs> the, uh, uh, I, I have a tendency to go and look at things like what right now. Like, oh, we played the game a lot, but we're playing like builds, future builds. Yeah. So, yeah, and yeah. then when like the day's over, like I'm about to see if I buy like Deathloop. I think it's a new game. Oh, I, I just played, played my, it last night. Like I, I've heard that mm-hmm. it was dope, and I think that might be a way that I like uh, fade into Wednesday. You know, like just playing that. <laughs> I would not play eight. Like Apex doesn't appeal to me at the uh, after thinking and playing it all day. You know, totally. Um, but like, like as a as a, it does appeal to me though. That's a problem. It just I I t- I limit myself from playing it too much because uh, mm-hmm. I have also all. Imagine this, I have all the information, all the meta. So I could yeah. like perfectly design my gameplay and still get wrecked. And that's just depressing. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That hits that hard. <laughs> that hard. Emre, thank you so much for coming on the show. Dude, this uh, is awesome. If our listen, uh, uh, thank you. Thank you. If our listeners want to find you online and follow <laughs> you, ask you all their data questions and bother you for as much pick rate as they uh, can possibly get their hands wrapped around uh where can they find you where can we shout you out yeah um hit me up on twitter it's the letter m as in we'll throw it in the we'll throw it in the yeah, uh, description guys m underscore r-a-y emory um yeah you can awesome that works thank you so much for coming on the show thanks guys Welcome back. Always fun to have someone from the Respawn team on to discuss things. I feel like we could have uh, we could have chatted with Emre a lot longer about some so many other cool topics. Uh, we'll see. Hopefully, you all learned something from that. But let's dive into it and wrap up the show by answering some five star questions. First one coming from Shane zero four zero zero. Hey guys, really like the show. I've been listening for a few months now, and interestingly. I feel like your podcast has helped me improve more so than any tips and tricks videos. I just wanted to ask for your take on tracker slash badges. Do you always equip them or do you wait to have cracked stats and badges? Thank you sincerely. A 1700 kill horizon. That's a fun question. That's a fun question. And thank you. Thank you for the compliment. I always knew we were better than the tips and tricks video. (laughs) I don't know about that. but I will say for me. Henry, Henry, you got a better answer for this. I'm not a big tracker and badges people. Like I, I kind of just equip what I equip. I don't change it too often. I like to have like on my ranked sweaty main, whoever I'm playing, I put three bronze badges from like the first couple splits of the new account. And so I have three like bronze badges and I kind of like to show that off. But I think just do whatever you want and make it look cool. 
everybody has their different take on it. Um, mm-hmm. I like the people that try to do like color coordinated or themed, yeah. uh, you know, banner designs with all the badges and trackers kind of lining up. Um, badges are kind of tough, I think, for me. So there's many so many. Ones. There's so many good ones, but also so many useless ones. Like <laughs> a new event comes out. Oh, I got like three badges. I'm never going to equip them on anybody ever. I need a bad trade, badge trade in system. How I many would take I- it. I would take it. How many badges does it take to get a 4k? How many? Right. <laughs> if I give you 23 Ks, could I get a 4k? Please. Yeah, I like that's, that. That's the new system. You heard it here first. We're pitching it. Next question going from well291. I've been listening for a while and really enjoy the show. I have never found a podcast about gaming and I'm waiting for every episode. I struggle to hit my shots. Any tips for all of us who miss most of our shots? Also wondering, but what is your total play time for Apex? Thank you for the great episodes. Great, great question. I think hitting your shots is the biggest thing for anybody playing Apex. And the best way to combat that is with weapon choice. Honestly, I mean, mm-hmm. the easy answer is play more, practice more, blah, 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 blah. But that's not very helpful. The best thing you can do is choose weapons that are more forgiving, more powerful overall. And we talk about them a lot. So hopefully you can pull some from that. In terms of playtime, we have pretty convoluted playtimes. We've switched consoles. We've switched accounts. We've ch- switched platforms across you know we're both day one players it's been a journey (laughs) it's hard a rough calculation for me across my main xbox my main pc account is over 2200 hours getting very close to breaking 100 days my rough estimate was coming just under the 2000 hour mark so henry has logged some more hours for me and we'll see it's interesting with our talk talk with emre today talking about how experience goes into kind of some of your skill-based matchmaking that's interesting. Maybe Henry's uh-huh. making me play in some really tough lobbies because of those <laughs> extra 200 hours. And they said, screw your KD, Shay. It don't even matter. <laughs> we will see about that. Pretty funny. <laughs> Last question today coming from Mohawk Jacobs. Been listening for a few weeks now, and I love the depths you guys go into with time to kill and what weapons to use in different situations. Since listening to you guys, I've been using the L-Star with great success after a long time of avoiding it like the plague. Here's my question. Something that's been on my mind for a while now is gray weapon attachments that may behave in a similar way to Evo shields. The more damage slash kills they level up to a potential red level, but to keep it balanced, they could perform a little less well compared to their locked level counterparts. Do you think this could work or is a terrible idea? Love listening. Keep it up, guys. Wow. I can tell you one thing, Mohawk. I have never thought of this idea until this moment right now. My first, so you're getting my first impressions on this. Interesting idea. I could see maybe a general attachment like how Evo armor used to be on the ground where you pick up a Evo mag and then you could evolve that. But removing it all together would be just such a drastic shift to the loot pool. I don't know if it could work. I don't want to call yeah. it a terrible idea, though. I think there's definitely something interesting there, and it kind of piques my interest, at least. It's really, really cool. I love the idea as well. I will say, though, Apex has the most complicated inventory looting system on the market. By I far. think a change like this to have Evo weapons would probably come after the implementation of no more attachments. 
Mm, you just have yeah. rarities of weapons. So if a weapon was the same as armor and just base, white, blue, base, purple, white, blue, and then, you level then it up. this would be mm-hmm. really, really cool to have actual reward-based um, advancement in the quality of weapon you have. And it's a snowball effect. For the better or for mm-hmm. worse, you would, are you you're taking more fights? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I, it's a tough question. You're poking more with some guns. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? There's a, yeah, there's I a, think a, having it tied to kills and assists could be a really cool way to counter that, though, like they said. Because yeah. right now we have that kind of issue philosophically about armor being, oh, poke more in order to get the advantage. Mm-hmm. If you had weapons that were the opposite of that could be a really cool Man, balance it would start some big arguments between the people that steal <laughs> kills and stuff though my god yeah really hard that's gonna wrap the show though thank you to our producer of the third party 10 who supports us as a dropship captain on patreon subscribe nubble pods drop a follow on spotify leave a five-star view through question we'll answer on our next episode follow us on instagram and twitter at third party pod and check out the discord via the link in the description thank you so much for listening to the third party podcast we will catch you next time peace Hey now, another squad coming in. Boom, whole squad down.